0: welcome to show 144 of 40 going on
1: 14 i am mike i am patrick i'm joel and i'm josh and as a result of the second half of this episode we will all be moving to an undisclosed location and have all curiously been banned from r pyongyang (laughs) i gotcha that would
2: be great if there was an r pyongyang there
1: is that's that's a. That's a big Reddit joke. If you ever say anything negative about North Korea anywhere on Reddit, the moderators of our Pyongyang will ban you, and you'll get an automatic notice.
2: That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah.
0: You have been banned from Pyongyang, Our Pyongyang. Hmm. So. All right. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if you've gotten it, but we are doing the spy show, or actually the Inept Spy Show. So we watch Spies Like Us and The Interview.
1: Yeah, so we've got spy buddy comedies where the spies are kind of fuck-ups, but uh, have to complete the mission anyway.
0: Yep, and then we've got uh, some Cold War for the 80s and some Cold War for the thousands, I guess.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, And speaking of buddy fuck-ups... <laughs> what? <laughs> if you'd like to listen to all sorts of shows like ours... Uh, I was going with work, sort of a com- comedy, a buddy comedy with a bunch of fuck-ups. That was a shit cherry. That was a shit cherry, yes. <laughs> if you'd like to listen to other shows like ours, you can always tune into the Podcast Collective, our uh, podcast network, which has such shows as Mint and Boxcast, Tales mm-hmm. from the Hard Side, Dating Baggage, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, and No Hope for Humanity, and Buddy Fuck-Up. <laughs> <But laughs> yeah,
0: it's shit cherry. <laughs> Buddy Fuck buddy Up fuck and Knuckleface Jones in the morning. together. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: my favorite morning radio show. Oh, my God.
0: Buddy buddy, sick Fuck it, Up and Knuckleface
2: it Second to the chicken and the douche.
0: <laughs> God. That's
3: a great show. Don't knock it.
0: All right. So, yeah. If you're looking, some, looking for some more of this, uh, you can find us on <laughs> iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And you can also listen to our show on uh, Saturdays at noon on Geek Life Radio. Dum, dum, dum.
1: Yeah, and if you wanna give us a call to uh discuss one of our show topics, touch on something we missed, or uh give us a show suggestion, you can always do that at seven oh eight now wrap. That's seven oh eight six six nine nine seven two seven, or reach out to us on Twitter at forty go fourteen or shoot us an email at forty go fourteen at gmail dot com. Yeah. Don't do we have any uh voice No voicemails this week. Really? Aw. Oh, it's been been a light week. Everyone's on vacation. Yeah.
0: Well, there was a, little, a little bit of chatter
1: on uh, on Twitter.
0: Uh, apparently, between us and um, the History of Bad Ideas, and I forgot what the other show was. Apparently, what? we're the nicest hosts out of all th- all three of them.
1: Like, uh, yeah, that was that was this weird. Uh, who does listener feedback the best? And our buddy Randall Holt it was uh, like, put our name into a hat that our name wasn't in. He pulled a wizard Tournament with, with us. <laughs> There's a phrase. <laughs> Harry, Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah, so um, the guys at History of Bad Ideas apparently think we have soul, have a soul. So I'm not saying we all have individual ones, but we at least have... Are we, we sharing it? One that it? we pass around. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has it for like half a week and then we email it to the other person. <laughs>
2: what? It's gotten diluted over the years.
1: Yeah. He's currently trapped on Pat's Blackberry. <laughs> <laughs> he likes the keyboard, damn it. I need tactile. <laughs>
0: All right. I'm a businessman. I think it's about that time. <laughs> it's
1: definitely about
0: that time.
4: This week in music, movies, and TV. And North Korean sports. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Could be North Korean sports
0: where they all win, um, and no one wins.
3: All <laughs> Kim Jong Un wins every
0: time. That would be. I would love to have a fighting game with Kim Jong Un in there. Like the <laughs> co- Kim Jong Un ah, awesome. wins.
2: Put him in NBA Jam. Watch him just <laughs> uh,
1: be awesome. Right now,
2: add him into all kinds of video games.
1: Boom <laughs> I'm so glad there's so much other American media that we are so unlikely to be killed for this episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so Spies Like Us premiered on December 6th in 1985, and the uh, number one song in the town was "Broken Wings" by Mr. Mister. I actually like that song.
4: Oh.
1: It's a good song. Yeah. Oh, good. I, I could tell that it was the sort of 80s song that Patrick doesn't like.
2: It, <laughs> it, just, all it says in the tweet is, a oh, that's, that's a fact. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Well, it's
1: also, you've got this thing where there's these junior high slow dance songs that the rest of us seem to like and you hate.
3: <laughs> I had that cassette, man. I loved it. Ugh. It's just Still this.
2: It. It's just this pussy rock that I just hate. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it got us pussy, and not you. Oh wait, that didn't happen.
2: Well, no, that's eh, well, well. I mean, I, I, I did happen. DJ all the dances, so it wasn't um, really getting a whole lot of. So tail. it was like
0: you were you were like watching everybody making game, yeah. and you were like, I'm on the sidelines.
3: Yep. Hey, Pad, carry a laser down the road that you must travel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's carry just... a laser. <laughs> <laughs> Screw these guys! It's two hours of ballroom blitz.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Nothing but weirdo. Out.
0: Bird. <laughs> See, my thing is that the only reason my kids know Mr. Mister is from that, uh, oh, what's that song?
2: The Train song?
0: Yeah. And my, they were kind of surprised and were like, wait a second, that's actually a band? Like, <laughs> yes, it's, he, here's my cassette.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pat, the true test. How do you feel about Toto's Africa? Ooh. Oh, boy. This could be. Um,
0: that's
2: one of those that I kind of, it's, it's. It's in the realm of like an umbop where it's just so cheesy that I kind of like it.
1: Okay, you are not kinda dead kinda, to me then. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it kind of comes back around almost.
0: Mm. Pat will be back next week then. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that song. That is a great song. Uh,
2: but... I, I wouldn't say it's great, but I do appreciate it and I will sing it. I don't change the channel. So.
0: No, it's okay. So, December 7th, the album Sun City by Artist United Against Apartheid is released. The most popular song from the album is most likely "Silver and Gold" by U two, because Bono. Yeah,
2: that's, that's a good song, "Silver and Gold." It's
0: yeah,
1: it's it's a U two song. It is. <laughs> that it's is definitely a song that was on that album. Yeah, and I was a little bit of stank on that. Like, I'm not a big U two fan.
2: Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. pretty much the only one in the whole podcast that actually really likes U two. Uh, yeah, I'll
3: take. I've seen favorites. him in concert twice. Really. And Pat won't be back next
4: week. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: in the meantime, uh, Ian Stewart was a keyboardist and co-founder of the Rolling Stones who was removed from the lineup in May of 1963 and remained as a road manager and pianist. He died on December 12th while in the waiting room of a doctor's office and was posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame along with the rest of the band in 1989.
2: That's kind of sad. Yeah, It's actually a pretty sad story because... He was the of uh, the uh, like I said the original keyboardist and the manager pretty much decided that he didn't fit the well that, that they needed a five person band instead of a six person band because all popular bands were only five pieces at that point oh. and so he he didn't really fit the look of the band because he was a little bit too heavy set and a little bit too square jawed and look he was a little bit older than the other guys so they kind of cut him out of the band officially but he stayed behind as the manager roadie slash you know, uh, session pianist.
0: Yeah, whenever they needed somebody to come in and really play piano well.
1: Yep, <laughs> exactly. You know what we need? We actually need a pianist. Oh, shut <laughs> up, guys! Yeah, we need you to do your job, but not get any of the credit or the groupies or the money.
2: Exactly, and it, and the funny thing is, is that he was apparently such a nice guy that he did it because he didn't really want to be in the quote unquote rock and roll
1: lifestyle.
3: Well, and he huh. still was getting paid bank. Plus, uh, he was the shit cherry on their Sunday. <laughs> had to work that in. I Keith. did.
1: Uh,
0: Alright, so movies. I must break you. Rocky Four is the top movie in America. Rocky punching his meat again. <laughs>
1: Man, I love the soundtrack of that film.
2: I, I live in America. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. that's That scene is so heartbreaking because it's so awesome right before it happens.
2: Yeah, like the, the emotional swings in that that five minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I haven't seen that in a long
0: time. I was just thinking that. I haven't seen that since I even skipped over that on the, the, the
3: Stallone, Stallone, Stallone show. show. Yeah. Yeah, that I would watched, have been the
1: last time I saw it.
3: I, I like all the Rocky movies, but yeah, I haven't seen that one in a while. All right. I've been so, in 10 years.
1: Amanda
0: Michelle Seyfried was born December 3rd, 1985, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. She quit her four year modeling career at 15 to begin acting on As the World Turns and All My Children. Her film debut was in the 2004 comedy Mean Girls. She also had roles in Alpha Dog, Veronica Mars, Big Love, Mamma Mia, Jennifer's Body, Red Riding Hood, In Time, Les Mis, Ted 2, and the acronym of the week, which is,
1: Goddamn
3: Holy
0: crap. A-M-W-T-D-I-T-W.
1: Holy crap. Go ahead. Uh, that's Australian men with their dicks in in the wallaby.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Bravo, sir! Bravo!
4: <laughs>
0: Way
3: to take uh, a theme and stick with it. Oh, uh, anybody,
2: anybody else? Like to your
3: dingo made my, my baby. What? <laughs> I couldn't. An even American beget. werewolf in dirty old. I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a million ways to die in the West.
3: Oh, I like Josh's better.
0: <laughs> I still haven't seen that.
2: It's actually pretty funny.
0: Uh, it looks it looks like one of those movies just you just want a stupid laugh.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. I had it in the background once when I was uh, cooking, and it was it was it made me laugh quite a few times. Nice, funnier well, than I expected.
0: Uh, she has an older sister named Jennifer, who is in the Philadelphia organ-driven rock band Love City Org.
4: Like I figured that was fun of,
2: Yeah, but that was fun enough to include as a fact. An organ-driven rock band. I'm having
0: all sorts of weird images going on in my hands right now. <laughs> I mean, are we talking pipes or are we talking pipe? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so, movies released this week include Young Sherlock Holmes, Spies Like Us, Snatch, and Chorus Line, The Jewel of the Nile, and one of Mike's favorites, Clue. That's a pretty good lineup. Yeah. It actually is a great week for movies.
1: Jewel of the Nile
2: is a fun movie.
1: Yeah, it, it is. is. It manages to be more than I. It really had to be because it was sort of a knockoff of like the whole Indiana Jones kind of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that was that was watched that one a lot when it was uh, remember when it came out of VHS type of thing. And Clue, I've seen so many times.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Clue is amazing.
0: We got to figure out if they, if they were to remake Clue, who would they have as Wadsworth? Is that oh, the Jim
2: Currie. Jim, Jim Jeffries. That's
0: what that's. Uh, I'm throwing my. Hand. Jim Jeffries.
3: Was Which that was the Tim very, Curry role? Yes, it yeah. was.
0: Okay. I, I saw
3: that in the theater, but...
0: Um... I don't even know. I'm trying to think. Oh, what about... Uh, what's his name from the uh, British version of The Office? Ricky, oh, Ricky Gervais? Gervais?
1: Yeah. I can actually see him doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not a bad casting choice.
3: All
2: right. I'm not shouting! I'm not shouting!
3: Oh, <laughs> yeah. right. Right. right! I'm shouting! I'm shouting! I'm shouting! <laughs> what about Steve Coogan?
0: Huh. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. That's that's a that's a discussion for online. We gotta post it. How would you cast <laughs> the remake to Clue?
3: Yes, we, Rowan, let's do that. We gotta get Rowan, this Rowan ball Atkinson.
0: Rolled. Ooh, Rowan Atkinson is Wadsworth. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know. That might be too much physical comp. I mean
3: that. Mm. That's his. Uh, yeah, that's his specialty is physical. I know, but I mean that might just be too right. much. <laughs> that's why I was thinking more cerebral than. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. moving anyway, on.
0: Moving on. Yeah, So moving on to something important, such as Raven Simone. or not. You missed one. I did. Yeah, you missed a bunch. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was scrolling down. Uh, TV top shows are The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Murder She Wrote, and Cheers. Pretty much. Also known as <laughs> the '80s block. Yeah, yeah <laughs> everything basically. you remember from the '80s. Uh, Francisco Frankie Muniz. Muniz. Muniz was born on December sixth. He went on to star as the titular character in Malcolm in the Middle, which is still holds up. Yep. Uh, along with a few movies, before he gave up acting to become a professional race car driver.
3: Really? Although, wait—he was in Sharknado Three.
1: <laughs> was he? Yep. Awesome. Yeah, okay. he's kind of like just doing whatever the hell he wants. That's awesome.
3: Good yeah. for him.
2: He's the poor man's Daniel
3: Radcliffe. <laughs> he, no, he, hes the poor man's poor man's Daniel
0: Radcliffe. <laughs> Aww.
3: <laughs> now, no offense,
0: but Malcolm in the Middle favorite episode? Do you have one? I never watched. I, wh- when when ever, Hal
2: was teaching the kids how the to roller, roller skate.
0: skate. Yes. Oh, that one's good. <laughs> that, that was the one when I, when I was trying to show the kids that one. I'm like, listen, you just need to see this one episode and you're in.
2: Or the one where Hal is trying to help them build the fighting robot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he releases I'm, the bees. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm a big you, fan of when they leave Dewey at home with a lady who he gets along with by them singing Abba together. And then she suddenly dies. Oh, oh, that yeah. was such a twisted episode.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, back to uh, Raven Simone, actress best known as Olivia in the Cosby Show and playing herself on That's So Raven, was born on December tenth. Moving on.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. And, and, and uh, recently, nothing of significance happened with her. Yeah, Patrick. <laughs> we'll just m- move past.
0: Patrick has another bullet point. Moving on. Oh my Franklin,
1: God, this huge. What? Thanks for noticing.
0: <laughs> <sighs> All right. Franklin Burr Tilstrom was born in Chicago, Illinois, and while a freshman at the University of Chicago, he took a job setting up marionette theater with the Chicago Parks District. In 1936, his dolls were nameless until the Russian ballerina Tamara Tomotinov (laughs) What? I don't know. Tumanova. Tumanova, referred to them as Kukla, the Russian- It's not a Tumanova. (laughs) After that name, the other puppets were named, including Balula Witch, Fletcher Rabbit, and Oliver J. Dragon, Ollie. From 1947 to 1957, Tilstrom was involved with the Kukla, Fran, and Ollie show, which starred his puppets and Fran Allison. It is widely regarded as being the first children's show to appeal to both children and adults and counted Orson Welles, John Steinbeck, holy cow, Tallulah Bankhead, Adley Stevenson, and James Thurber among its many adult fans. With only a few exceptions, all of his shows were improvised. Tilstrom continued to perform with his
1: players until his death on December 6th. Yeah, I caught that in syndication. That was actually a favorite show of mine as a child.
0: It actually still is pretty funny.
1: Yeah.
3: I don't mean, think it's, I've ever seen it.
1: I mean, you would have to have caught it in syndication or gone out of your way to watch stuff from, like, the Howdy Doody era. Yeah. I mean, but, uh,
0: yeah. But I, any any kid show that Orson Welles, John Steinbeck, and James Thurber, I'll give the thumbs up to, there's some, yeah. something going on there. <laughs> it's... <laughs>
4: That's so, no
3: joke.
0: Right. So, uh, sports. Doral Wright, a three-point specialist small forward for the NBA in the Miami Heat, was born December 2nd. All right. Uh, <laughs> Those are a lot of words. Yeah, that's a bunch of words about sports right there. <laughs> basketball. Basketball. Journeyman. more basketball here. Josh Smith, journeyman NBA player currently on the Houston Rockets, was born on December 5th. Dwight Howard, one of his best friends since high school, aw, and also currently a Houston rocket, was born three days later, from a different woman.
2: <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no, same mother.
0: <laughs> Whoa. Holy shit. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. I just, I'm looking over the whole thing, and I see Sri Lanka and Bangladesh in this, and this is not <laughs> going to be fun.
3: Did the tweet just vomit? I it's mean, just, really? Yeah. All right. Just so I, this, this
2: paragraph, I was just, I was dying.
3: All right. It's a so shit we, cherry, if I ever saw one. Just to just to get this out of the way,
0: Dean Ambrose of the WWE roster was born on December seventh.
2: I, I gave you that as dessert. Yeah, I that that's was gonna... my shit cherry, right?
0: <laughs> All right. So Ruda Pratap Singh is a left arm fast medium bowler who has represented India in Test, One Day International, and twenty twenty international cricket, and he was born December sixth in India. He first came in contention during the Under-19 World Cup in Bangladesh in 2004, where he took eight wickets for a very impressive average of 24.75. I just see him chasing Ewoks around in my head right now. (laughs) So he (laughs) later performed consistently in the Ranji Trophy for the Uttar Pradesh, and impressive performances saw him earn a place in the ODI side in 2005. In his third one-day match, Singh Singh got his first man-to-the-match award as India restricted Sri Lanka to a modest 196 all-out. Can you believe it? (laughs) Swinging the ball on a batting wicket, he took four important wickets to rattle Sri Lanka. They were shook to their bones. His bowling figures of 8.5 overs, two maidens, now I'm really confused, (laughs) 35 runs, and four wickets, announced his arrival on the international stage. And if you have two maidens and 35 runs, you damn well will be on the international stage. Why are there decimals? (laughs) Singh was selected to make his test debut in the second test against Pakistan in Falazabadabad, Pakistan, in January 2006. He won Man of the Match award on his debut after taking five wickets in the match what the hell (laughs) after coming up on what
1: three years of doing this is that right yeah I still have now they're still they're adding more words that's the thing is I was starting to think I was getting a handle on cricket and then all of a sudden there are these decimals and maidens and all out
2: (laughs) It's I a modest 196 all
0: out though. I, honest to God, I think cricket is just the rest of the world screwing with the United States. It's not really a game. <laughs>
1: I kind think like everybody... my theory about bridge and old ladies. Yeah, they're just making
3: fun of us. <laughs> but you know what? My what's theory missing? about
2: Radiohead and movie and music critics.
3: <laughs> you know what's missing in there though? An asterisk. Oh, is
2: yes, we need one.
3: That is just true. just saying. He Maybe he have...
1: was so good he didn't need one. That's true. He can't be there,
2: great if he there doesn't... I just bored in.
0: He was kicking asterisks. No, no, doesn't the asterisks mean something? Yeah, it does. I don't know what. So don't put it in there. I, did. <laughs> I took it out. I mean, if he's got two maidens, he's got two maidens with eight point five <laughs> overs.
3: Right. That brought him to the world stage, man. Don't <laughs> mess that up. I
0: am so confused. I know,
3: right? <laughs> you know what <laughs> I'm going to do? I'm
0: going down to visit the in-laws this weekend. My father-in-law is huge into sports. I'm going to put on. I'm going to put on cricket and just start saying these names to him.
2: See this right there? Just, just looking, be like, oh, he's definitely gonna win, gonna win man of the match. Yeah, playing like that.
0: Well, if he's already got three maidens on this game alone, I mean, seriously,
2: <laughs> he'll be seen on the international stage soon.
1: Yep. Wow. All right. So. What,
2: you got Everybody was saying there weren't enough cricket cricket facts in yeah. the tweet lately, so
0: yeah, we're good for the next three or four me. shows, right there.
1: So on to our main topic. Yeah,
2: Spies... No, I'm done. That, that tweet was enough. I'm, I'm done for the
0: night. You're out.
1: What? <laughs> he Just used... fade away.
0: <laughs> All right, so Spies Like Us came out in 1985. Uh, this was a comedy film, surprisingly, uh, directed by John Landis and starring Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Steve Forrest, and Donna Dixon. The film presents the comic adventures of two novice intelligence agents set to the Soviet Union, originally written by Aykroyd and Dave Thomas, which I discovered there's another Dave Thomas besides the Windy's guy. Yes. And uh it was originally was meant to star Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Uh the script went to turnaround after Belushi died and was later picked up by Warner Brothers with Aykroyd and Chase
3: starring. I have to say though, as much as I love Belushi, Aykroyd and um Chase made a better team, I think, would have made more sense.
0: I agree. Yeah, oh yeah.
3: No offense to Belushi.
0: No, not at all. I mean, there's so uh <clears throat> John Landis directed this. We've known him for such wonderful movies as Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, one of my favorites. Uh Coming to America. <laughs> Fuck you. Yes. Fuck you too. <laughs> Uh written by Dan Aykroyd, Dave Thomas, and Lowell Gantz and Babaloo Mandel. Oh. Babaloo. Uh Babaloo Mandel. Uh, this one's he shows up, actually shows up a lot in a lot of the movies that we watch. Uh he's a he's a writer known for movies such as Parenthood, A League of Their Own, City Slickers, uh Two. No, City Slickers and City Slickers 2. Uh Mr. Saturday Night, Multiplicity, um, Vibes? Remember. What was Vibes? That was a Jeff Goldblum movie. Oh, my God. I've seen that. <laughs> Is but, he related to Howie? Uh, I don't think so, but this one's got Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum. So.
3: Hey, Steve, what's a pizza? Uh, Sorry, I had to go back to Multiplicity.
0: Yeah, Spies Like Us, Splash, Night Shift. Um, and he started out...
2: Night Shift. I love that movie. Yeah,
0: Gung Ho. So A lot of
3: uh, Michael Keaton joints.
0: Yeah, so... Um, this one, for some reason, has a 35% rotten on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Yeah, there weren't very many. Uh, I think it was only 24 reviews counted, though. Oh, okay. So, low sample size.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, this movie was inspired by Bob Hope and Bing Crosby's Road Movies, which, if you haven't seen any of those, are actually pretty dang funny, uh, thus explaining Bob Hope's cameo appearance. He showed yeah. uh, his cameo as less than 30 seconds of him playing around a round of golf, through the tent when they're uh, out with the doctors, and it is actually his final appearance in a film. Really? Well, I'm sick. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's irony right there, huh? Uh, Chevy Chase. Where the hell did that come from? What? It says this is re- Chevy Chase's role was originally intended for Joe Piscopo. I guess it was. Maybe. I don't know, it's IMDb. There's always... Sylvester Stallone was originally considered for the role Chevy Chase had. No, I made that up. That's false. <laughs> um, the first movie collaboration of the actor comedians Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. Have they done anything since? Because I know Nothing but trouble. Oh yeah? Oh, that's true. Yeah, because I know Chevy Chase, it's, it's one of the saddest things is when I discovered that Chevy Chase apparently is a huge asshole. Yep. yep. And we've talked about that before. Yeah. Yep. Him and uh, Chim Chim Chiri.
2: I. St- that's still up in
1: the air, though. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there, there's a few actors out there like that, though, that you want them to be cool, and then they turn out to not be.
1: Yeah, this is also one of the early collaborations. I believe it's the second mm. between uh, Dan Aykroyd and his wife Donna Dixon. Yep,
0: uh, they were in. I forgot what they were in before, but Dan, yeah,
1: Doctor A- Detroit. Yeah, where they met. Oh
0: man, I haven't seen Doctor Detroit.
1: Jeez. That movie,
2: that movie is so bad. It is. I don't, I don't want to watch it anymore because I thought it was cheesy back then. And now, I mean, I don't. I, that movie will not hold up.
3: Well, there goes next week's plan for a show.
0: Right. <laughs> so uh in total there were nine cameos by directors alone, which included Costa Gavras. I don't know who that is. Um, but Sam Raimi. Yep. Terry Oh, no, Gil- Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi? Sam Raimi. It says Sam sure, Raimi. Sam.
3: I thought Ted Raimi was in
1: They it. may have both there were a ton of cameos. Oh yeah. yeah. Terry Gilliam, sorry.
0: Joel Cohen. Frank Oz, Michael Aptid, Larry Cohen, Martin Brest, Bob Swaim, uh, though none of them have ever e- ever uh, directed either Dan Aykroyd or Chevy Chase in any of the 100 plus films they made.
3: Terry yeah. Gilliam threw me off. B.B. King threw
1: it. me. Terry Gilliam didn't throw me off uh, at all because I saw Charles McKeown in this movie. And Charles McKeown, it was in almost every movie Gilliam ever directed. So they're obviously like close. Oh yeah. And um, oh, uh, Crap.
0: Throwback to uh, Clash of the Titans was in here. Hmm? One Harry ha- Hamlin? Ha- ha- no, not Harry Hamlin. Um, Ray Harryhausen. Oh, really? Yeah, he was... Remember at the when he's doing the operation, that one doctor that tells him, yes, cut there, they focus What's on that? the one guy? That's Ray Harryhausen.
1: Cool.
3: Yeah. So, You're right. It is Ray Harryhausen. My mistake. They look very similar. Um... And I, I had noticed that Matt Frewer was in it, a.k.a. Max Headroom and yeah. various other great roles, but I, I missed his cameo.
0: Uh, he's one of the soldiers that, I think it's one of the soldiers that busts in at the very end, like when they blow out the door. Oh. Yeah, Because th- I was
3: watching for him, damn it.
0: Yeah, but B.B. Uh, King was the Ace Tomato agent uh, who told them to go get a Pepsi. Yep. And just, <laughs> it's like they just like, we're hanging out. Hey, you're walking by the studio. You want to be in a movie? Okay, cool. And that's the uh,
2: King was also um, was also in uh, Trading Places too.
1: Yep. Yeah. This is also the film debut of the then nineteen years old Vanessa Angel.
3: Yep. And her boobs. Oh
1: yeah. And how. yeah, she was a model before this, and yeah, her career continues on. She's probably best known for Kingpin, but oh yeah. So, uh, who is in this?
0: Now, we've talked about everybody who's in the cameos. <laughs> right. So, uh, Chevy Chase is Emmett Fitzhugh. Dan Aykroyd is Austin Milbarge. Steve Forrest, steely eyed and firm jaw, is General Sline. Donna Dixon is Karen Boyer. Bruce Davidson is Mr. Ruby.
1: Bruce? Oh, yeah, the senator from the X Men movies. Yeah. That, and you yep. know who caught that was uh, Suzanne, right in the very S- beginning. She Sarah caught that when we watched it. That's kind of weird.
0: Why do they both, the two wives, catch. That the guy who melted. <laughs> no, anyway, um, so Bernie Casey. Very Freudian. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, in a, probably one of the best scenes in the movie, I think. The well,
1: whole. he always shows up and is a badass. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, William Prince as Mr. Keyes. Tom Hatton uh, as General Miggs. Frank Oz as the test monitor, which is I think <laughs> is the second most famous scene from this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charles McCohen, Jerry Hadley, James Doughton is Bob Hodges. Uh, also known him from uh, Animal House. He was one, he was one of the um, uh, who was the yeah he was one of the Omegas.
1: Well, and Charles McKeown, who you kind of breeze past, was in a ton of. I mentioned him a minute ago. He was oh. in uh, Brazil, Baron Munchausen, Life of Brian, Doctor hmm. Parnassus, Eric the Viking. It was like basically. Anything peripherally associated with the Pythons, uh, he was probably in. He was in Faulty Towers. Yeah,
2: not very well known, but yeah, if, no, you know I, what you're, if you know who you're looking for, you recognize him,
0: right? Yeah, oh, he goes all the way back down to uh, Ripping Yarns too, and wow! Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So, uh, and then like I said, Vanessa Angel, but um, as the Russian Rocket crew person.
2: Yeah, I'll show you my Russian rocket. <laughs>
1: Because. It's interesting that of the five Russian rocket crew people, she's the one who is accredited. Not funny, really, because she's the one that would probably stand out yeah, oh. of the five. Yep, And she also uh, was on the
0: Weird Science TV show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she played the Creation. So. I've never seen that. I'm yeah. guessing it's, well, I'm guessing Joel's seen it, because it's probably terrible.
1: I, I'm guessing we'll probably preview it in a show coming up at some point. Right. Right. So, did any of us see it at the theater?
2: Spice like us? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Nope. Nope. No, I didn't. I saw it on VHS later, but yeah, not in the theater.
1: I am, I know I saw this, but I probably saw it when I was too young to really understand it. More one that, like, my dad rented, and kind I was. Like when I, oh, sorry. I was just saying, I was allowed to watch it, but I didn't really get it.
3: Kind of like when I saw Stripes.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, this was one of my favorite movies when I was a, a, a kid. When I was in high school, yeah, I used to quote it all the time. I, I I remember seeing this in the theater. It was part of you know I used to spend my Saturdays like once a month I was allowed to go to the theater and just hop from theater to theater. I think we discussed that before. Yeah,
3: maybe your dick's not as dumb as I thought. Got me through high school.
2: <laughs> Got me through high school.
3: Yeah, and <laughs> but, Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say my my um my friend Randy and Chris. Uh, there, there were basically two movies that we quoted all the time. It was this one and Better Off Dead were the two mainstays that, you know, just. And then when then we saw Airplane, we started quoting that. We, we could have entire conversations speaking in only movie quotes even back then.
0: Well, yeah, that's. Well, you've been to my house. Yep. Met my parents. I mean, that's a. That is. This is another one of those, you know, if, if anybody ever says
1: that in the house, what was that? The Dickfer.
2: That was a Dickfer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this I've movie forgotten. is just so quotable. Yeah.
1: It really the is. Dick for joke. I'd forgotten that this is where that came from. Basically, <laughs>
3: well, and it's Mike, so my sister.
2: Ha- you can all have her.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. Don't forget, Mike, our illustrious uh, run-in with death with the whole dictaphone joke. Oh yeah, which is very similar,
0: very close to that. Yeah. What? The dictaphone. That's why. That's why Phil almost shot me. Oh yeah. You know, hey Phil, could I use your dictaphone? Right. No, use your finger like everybody else. Yep. And then he pulled a gun on me, and that yep. is a true story.
2: <laughs> prop gun but still
0: no no it was a real gun with blanks <laughs> i'm 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 rather certain of that because you kind of he drew a beat on me as i was running screaming back and forth across the stage <laughs> that's why i love theater okay so spies like us this okay the test scene the testing scene is that is that between that or the ninja scene what do you guys go for
3: the test scene yeah you mean when they're in like they're doing all the different testing, like the whole like
0: No taking the taking test? No, where they're taking, right? yeah, where they're taking the test.
3: Oh, I was thinking of the the centrifuge test part. <laughs> 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 I,
1: it's interesting that Joel brings up the centrifuge thing because I noted that as like their character and verbal work held up really well, like their buddy stuff playing off each other, but with the exception of. Uh, that one scene, most of the physical comedy stuff actually fell kind of flat for me. But them doing the faces in See, that part of the montage. Was, yeah, it was still a great. See, I think the physical
0: comedy is, for me, leaned more towards Chevy Chase. Like when he was, when they were getting shot at in the cabin and Dan Aykroyd just kind of like hops over the wood and he just kind of like rolls over it or or he's trying to get
1: him on the horse
2: Dan Aykroyd is definitely a much more intellectual comedian
1: oh yeah right. and I think a lot when I think of the physical comedy I think of most of the rest of the training montage where it's like here's your task we're going to show you failing sort of hilariously at it and I don't think except for the centrifuge and the uh, plane sudden impact test I don't think I laughed throughout the entire scene you didn't laugh when they really? told him
0: heads down. <laughs>
1: nah, <laughs> no. Man, you're you're
0: ice cold. Man.
1: I I am very tough on comedies. We've established that. But yeah. I yeah I I still laughed quite a bit through this movie. But it was mostly at what they were saying.
0: There was a great, I mean, a lack of a better term, chemistry between these two. I mean, they have a great uh, rapport. Yeah, rapport between the, just with the lines back and forth with them, especially like. You know the in the doctor's tent where when they're doing the uh they're doing the operation. <laughs> you know that's
2: first they will shave the patient. You start just put <laughs> the theory cream on his face.
3: What well, I like just, the just
2: skip the shaving.
3: The the doctor 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 <laughs> doctor doctor. What are you talking and about? And
2: doctor,
0: we're
3: not doctors.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, that's was just such a great line that they finally finish it all up. And doctor, and they walk. In. Sorry.
0: No, you can enjoy it. It's cool with us. <laughs> That's the whole point.
2: I enjoy so little in life.
0: <laughs> you didn't. You, I, I, when they drop the, they dropped the um, they dropped the, uh, the case down the tomato company case, and they're in the back with all the uh, cans of uh, Budweiser and Doritos. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so
2: they're just looking around like, "Oh, we're here already." Like <laughs> well, you were only dropped out thirty seconds ago.
4: <laughs>
3: right.
1: I also found interesting about their relationship is frequently in buddy pictures, there's only two types of uh, relationships between the leads. Either they kind of hate each other but reluctantly accept one another by the end, or they're like super best friends from the beginning and all the way through. This had neither. They were kind of, they sort of liked each other and sort of worked, but were willing to sell one another out until the end.
2: Yeah, they were definitely more one man, each man for himself, then they were, you know, team, go team, you know. Yeah. I, I, I constantly <laughs> getting separated, because one of them would run, and the other one would, would get caught, you
0: know. Oh, yeah, when he's like, they're not taking me, and, he, and uh,
1: Dan Aykroyd jumps into the uh, jumps Into Either the forest. The brushes, yeah. Yeah, but they didn't fall back on the tired stereotype of goofy opposites who dislike each other until the very end.
2: Yeah, they were both kind of like, Aimless losers in in different ways, right? You know, so it, yeah, it was, it was
3: See, interesting.
0: Kind but of. Yet they
3: they both had their individual talents, which helped carry them through all the the crazy situations that they yeah. had. Yeah,
0: I mean that's the thing is like initially, I mean, it's, it's separately they're pretty pathetic, um, the spies on their own. But you put them together, and they're kind of average.
1: You know. So breaking down the plot for people who haven't seen it, basically you've got the military contracts the agency to uh, send two teams of spies into the uh, Soviet Union to commandeer a nuclear missile. Uh, one team is supposed to be the real team, and the other team is supposed to be two expendable teams. Uh, I, sorry, and a team of two expendables to act as decoys our Expendables are our leads, Chevy Chase playing Emmett Fitzhume, a uh, diplomat with a big mouth fast tongue and like no ambition or aptitude Mm -hmm. and then Dan Aykroyd is Austin Milbarge who's a civilian who is good with languages great with computers and code breaking but constantly making enemies uh, of like his superiors and it's stalled out his career
0: Yep, and then he tries to... The first time you meet him, he's watching, watching the Ronald Reagan movie, uh, mm-hmm. and he's apparently supposed to take this... You find right before you take... Right before that, you discover he's supposed to be taking this test and supposed to be studying for it, and he has his way of studying is to bed his superior to try and get her to make it that he hasn't doesn't have to take the test.
1: It's also weird that they picked the test out of like a random series of government terms because I took and passed the test they were supposedly taking on the first try and it's not the test you take to become a secret agent <laughs> you you are. that's exactly yeah. what a secret agent was oh. exactly right <laughs> <laughs> no it's the, it's the test you take to become a diplomat uh-huh,
4: now sure. he's going to kill all the uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't, don't believe
0: this I don't
2: know about all this
0: where's your Donna Dixon
2: hang, hang up the phone Mike. hang up we're done we're done here <laughs>
0: So, yeah,
1: so, so you're a diplomat?
2: Inside your house. No, so, there's
1: like five points in the hiring process. I, I got through the test.
0: So, um... <laughs> Emmett Fitzhugh and Austin Middle Barge, they kind of team up when they start cheating on the test. Uh, Chevy Chase walks in, uh, just coming back from a reading of a will, or wasn't... No, it wait, Yeah, waited to the very end where I discovered I received nothing, uh, <laughs> with a broken arm ca- uh, cast on, and an eye patch, and... <laughs> just... How is he keeping the microfiche in his mouth and talking at the same time? I want to know, which is pretty... But
2: How, how could he read what he had written on the eyepatch?
0: Right. Yeah. So he's got all these different ways. Just he has a just fake... the
2: absolute worst ways to cheat possible. Like.
0: I know. He's got the fake arm with the whole, whole, <laughs> whole piece of paper stuffed in there. And then he fakes having a nervous breakdown. Um, just
2: to grab everybody else's tests.
0: <laughs> and naturally, you know, while Frank Oz, the voice of... Um, Fozzie. Kermit Bear. the frog.
3: <laughs> well, no, he does not Kermit. Later, he does, he?
0: Yeah, he does
2: all yeah, he did all those voices. Yeah.
3: Well, I, I mean Jim Henson did originally, but I don't think Frank Oz ever did Kermit.
1: Yeah, he's uh he Grover did. and uh Fozzie Yoda and
3: Fozzie. Yeah. And he was in the Blues Brothers.
0: Yes, he was. Yes he was. And he was not Grover and or he Fozzie Yes. He
1: hmm? was Grover. No,
0: I'm not, a, not in credits. the Blues Brothers. No, he wasn't not Grover the and the Blues Brothers.
3: Brothers. <laughs> Here's your stuff, Jake. That was more Yoda. I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> but I'm anyway. sorry. Now I have what? Grover in my what head saying happened?
0: he's on a mission from God. Um, <laughs> so they, fake, they, they try to cheat on this test and naturally get caught. And they think they're about to be uh, fired and their careers are over. And then uh, William, uh, not William Prince, um, Steve Forrest as General Sline realizes that he can use these guys as the scapegoat for the uh, for the whole project. So they turn out to be the G- CQ twenties. What are they called?
2: GL GLG
0: twenties. Yeah, they're the other p- a pair of GLG twenties that are the the um, the decoys. So they send them out to training. Whereupon they meet Bernie Casey as. Con- Colonel Rumbus, and that that is the uh, famous ninja scene, which, come on, show some balls.
2: I think it's too late to impress him.
0: (laughs) So, but yeah, it's, uh, and again, another, it seems like it just goes from one scene to one scene where there's just this great interaction, great lines back and forth between Chevy Chase. So they wind up going on
2: great banter.
0: Banta? Banta. Like in Star Wars. Banter. 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 Banter.
2: That was my old... Lady agent voice. I old old wooden ship. I promise.
0: Okay. So I the, promise. <laughs> so they wind up out in, the, uh, out in the desert where Charles McCohen and uh, Donna Dixon are actually the real spies.
1: Yeah. And they uh, find themselves constantly running from Pakistanis with guns from scene to scene until they end up uh, stumbling into this camp where they're mistaken for doctors.
0: Doctor,
4: doc,
1: doctor. doctor. <laughs> uh,
0: at the camp, they are, they discover well, Chevy Chase uh, and um, is mistaken by Donna Dixon, Karen Boyer, to be a famous doctor that she apparently has always wanted to see operate. So they wind up op- attempting to operate on the leader of the tribe's brother, who is has appendicitis, and he dies
1: before they get to him.
2: Yeah. It, it doesn't go well. It <laughs>
1: doesn't, doesn't go well for anybody involved in this thing. So, so they have to steal an ambulance and hightail it out of there. Yeah. So
0: they take off and they wind up just uh calling uh General Sline. Yeah. No, they call oh, a public payphone. Yeah, they call they call Mr. Ruby from a public payphone
2: person to person to collect.
0: <laughs> so they said this to you over the line. No, the uh 18T operator told our operator sir. <laughs> So, yeah, so then they wind up going to the Russian border, where, if you uh, remember those goofball uh, coats that they had to wear. Oh, yeah. Which...
1: From the movie poster on the cover.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, wind up up there, whereupon they run across the other GLG-20s again, Donna Dixon and uh, her partner, who have just, well, partially successfully fought off some of the Russian guards patrolling the area.
1: Yeah, Charles McKeown's character gets a gun down, which makes me wonder what exactly the plan was because Donna Dixon's character apparently doesn't speak Russian.
0: I just want to know where they got those bulletproof horses from. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's shooting Uzis and AK, AK-47s and the horses are just kind of like, hey, cool.
1: <laughs> They're <laughs>
2: shrugging it off.
0: In, horse, in Russia, horse ride you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs>
0: So uh, they wind up getting up to the uh, to the Russian border, crossing over, and just little by little, they discover what their task actually is, which is to actually launch a Russian nuke at the United States. Um, yeah,
1: where the agency was used by the military to attempt to create a conflict. To uh, that would precipitate World War Three and ensure the survival of the American way at pretty much the expense of the rest of the planet.
2: Well, Well, actually, first it was it was designed to show off their Star Wars system. Yeah, when it failed, they were like, "Well, we were kind of ready for this contingency."
0: (laughs) Yeah, they they had built up in a where pretty much all the cameos happen, uh, except for a couple of them. Um, they built this space laser that, uh, bounce... I don't know how the physics of this works, but apparently... <laughs> because movie. Because apparently the... <laughs> yeah. The, um, the movie screen at the drive-in can store light somehow. Well, that was just a cover. Energy. Yes. Because of energy.
2: It's It's got electrolytes.
0: <laughs> so... It's so what yeah. plants crave. Right on. So, yeah, so that's the, uh, they, they make the space laser to shoot the missile out of the air and wind up missing. So then their contingency plan is, we're going to hide down here for the next six months and wait for it all to blow over as civilization gets destroyed, which was the original ending of the movie. Wait, what? The original ending that they tested was um, the world gets destroyed. Really? Really.
1: Yep. So, nice happy really? ending for a comedy.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I'm like, that fr- I can't see why that didn't test well uh but yeah but apparently the the first uh the first test uh shot of it when they took it to the uh you know they tested it they they destroyed the world and everybody was like yeah you know <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty dark yeah i know seriously i mean it's you have this really light-hearted comedy through the entire thing and then at the very end they dropped this bomb on you
3: what happened to the dick jokes <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so Man, they, that was
3: a shit cherry
0: so, yeah. <laughs> so, God damn it. So, what... Uh, <laughs> this also winds up with the fam- one of the you-have-a-tent scenes? Because yeah. everybody pairs up because it's the end of the world anyway. And then... Uh, yeah, and then they have uh, one of... um oh, What's his name? I just lost the director's name again. John uh, Landis? John Landis' uh, trademarks are all over the place in this movie, but one of them is they have one take where one of the actors talks directly to the screen. That apparently is in every single one of the John Landis' movies.
3: Huh. So, like breaking the fourth wall?
0: Yeah, where he has one break of the fourth wall in the movie. And this, is, this one was when um, Austin Milbarge wakes up next to hot Russian chick number one and uh, says, uh, we can bring it back, or whatever he said, where he looked directly at the camera. That happens once in all his movies. Cool. Huh, Along I didn't, I didn't with, catch that. did you catch the other one? No. See you next. See you next Tuesday. Hmm. You don't know about that one. Mm-mm. In in one of the scenes in the in uh, at the army base, uh, when they were in the um, Bernie Casey's office in the back, you could see a poster that said "See you next Tuesday," and also in the Blues Brothers, the sign. Remember they launched the RV through the billboard in that. In, in Blues Brothers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, that was a billboard for a movie called "See You Next Tuesday," huh. and then in American Werewolf in London, in the subway, there are posters for a porno called "See You Next Tuesday."
1: And do you know what the colloquial thing for that is? It, it's cunt. "see you next Tuesday." Yes, to call somebody a cunt.
0: Oh, nice. So that's in all his movies. <laughs> so I guess he's calling you a cunt in all his movies.
1: Yeah, well, that's <laughs> it, it's kind of a. a like a discreet or clandestine way of doing that okay yeah but yeah so that's uh that is in all of uh, his movies
0: which is kind of fun to look for neat yeah i didn't realize that so uh so yeah so then he millbarge discovers they can call the the uh missile back or re-guide it so they wind up shooting it into outer space and blowing it up without hurting anybody
1: And then everyone who put them on the mission gets arrested, and all of the Russian techs and Milbarge and Fitzhume basically get put in charge of the disarmament talks between the U.S. and Russia. Right. And one of the things in that
0: also was the uh, Russians were all wearing two gold stars on their uniforms. Apparently that's wrong. It's another one of the... Mistake some of the mistakes. Then they're apparently the gold star equates to like the uh medal of honor for us. So for them to have two of them, they must have been a damn good missile crew <laughs> to begin with. Because if they got another one for this, so
3: in the Russia, gold star wears you. <coughs> so which their 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 talks, their what do you call it? Their peace talks basically is them drinking and playing like a. They're a, a drinking
2: thing. version of risk
3: well, but trivial it, yeah. pursuit risk
0: yeah,
2: yeah, that's what yeah, trivial pursuit risk with drinking
0: yep.
2: I want to play that game with Russians with anyone
3: with yeah,
1: I, I' take on all comers in that I'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so uh,
0: where does it sit on movies you like?
2: like I said, this was one of my favorite movies when I was in high school, and it still to me holds up. it still makes me laugh. I know what's coming. And it doesn't matter. I still laugh at the lines. That's a, that's a sign of a good comedy.
0: I'm with you on that. I, knew, I know that that rocket ship is just going to get tipped off the edge of that platform. And I was excited waiting to laugh about it.
1: Yeah, and I, I've mentioned I'm pretty rough on comedies. And while not all of it held up for me, overall, I liked the film. Like The chemistry was still there. Uh, a lot of the one-liners still really, really worked. Uh, overall, it's a thumbs up for me, if not a super enthusiastic one.
3: Uh, I enjoyed it. I I liked it when I saw it many, many, many years ago, and I still enjoyed it today. I don't know that it's anything that I would intentionally like buy or put on on a regular basis, but if it was on, I wouldn't turn it off. and And it uh, it it's a good '80s comedy. Enjoy it. So thumbs up. Yeah,
2: Joel. Why what? don't you go have a Pepsi? <laughs>
3: What a shit boy,
0: cherry. Why don't you boys go have a Pepsi? That actually that scene I had forgotten about that and I real I didn't, when they're screaming going down the elevator.
2: Yeah, I think I would puke at the bottom like <laughs> okay, nope.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I just think this is for me, this is classic 80's comedy.
1: Alright. So have we said all we really need to say about spies like us? Yeah. All right. So uh, when we come back, I guess after the break, we're going to talk about 2014's "The Interview," the uh, Seth Rogan joint uh, with uh, James Franco, and see uh, how it compares and uh, if we what we thought about that one. Yeah,
0: we'll be back in a bit. I'm going to go have a Pepsi.
4: We'll all
0: right we are back with more spies uh this now we are talking about the interview which came out just a few scant years ago in 2014 uh to some uh controversy. Yeah, a little bit of controversy there because this is the first movie that has talked about assassin, well no, second movie. There was one back in World War II, but it was before Hitler about about assassinating Hitler, but it was actually before World War II had started technically.
1: Yeah, we'll get into the that in the trivia and into yeah. some of the controversy. Yeah, so this one, Dave Skylark,
0: Purdue and producer Aaron Rapaport run the celebrity tabloid show Skylark Tonight. They land an interview with a surprise superfan, North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un, and they are recruited by the CIA to turn their trip into Pyongyang into an assassination mission. Now we we were trying to think of something to go up with spies like us, and this came up to mind because it's two guys who are pretty much incompetent at what they're supposed to be doing.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're doing espionage. It's a buddy movie. It's a comedy. I I think it was a pretty good analog between yeah. the two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, spies like us played upon the idea of, you know, the Soviet Union nuking us. And this kind of plays upon the fact that, uh, you know, the guy, North Korea is the guy, the kid on the uh, playground that's eating the paint chips off the uh, monkey bars. So, and this is directed by Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen uh, Seth Rogen, of course, you know for tons of stuff, including uh, <laughs> uh,
1: what was that?
0: Was that no. that was, was Seth Rogen? Seth Rogen
3: laughing.
1: All right, uh, 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 I don't know. I don't know what the hell that was supposed I, to be. Sounds
0: like you're choking on something.
3: I'll go or- back to Stone snag I thought
1: <laughs> maybe it was a lawnmower that he couldn't get started. <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> That's true too.
0: Uh, so yeah, so this um. Even Goldberg produced such movies as Knocked Up, Superbad, and Pineapple Express, uh, which is, I think Pineapple Express is my favorite out of those three just alone. Um, and Seth Rogen... Pineapple Express is pretty funny. Yeah, it is. Especially the very end, uh, when they're sitting at the, ra- the restaurant together. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seth Rogen, again, in the Superbad, The Interview, Pineapple Express, This is the End, uh, Neighbors, and Neighbors 3... Dun, dun, dun. yeah no three three mm-hmm. there's neighbors two and a short called neighbors three zombies rising <laughs> so yeah he's also uh this year something called zero villas coming out where he plays viking man so you can find out a little more about that when that shows up but uh written by dan sterling and seth Rogen. seth rogan same guy we talked about before go figure uh this guy... Yeah, uh, not a different Seth Rogen. Not a different Seth Rogen. Same Seth Rogen. Uh, has written for The Daily Show, the Sarah Silverman uh, program, the American version of The Office. So, it's got some good... Uh, pedigree. Pedigree behind that. Uh, this one is currently at Rotten Tomatoes 52%. So, probably a bigger... Uh, Larger sample size, yeah, absolutely. Bigger sample on that. So, But uh, some trivia on this one. Eminem wrote his own lyrics for the rap in his interview
1: <laughs> where he was denigrating old people <laughs> was...
0: and like making
2: obvious gay references
1: <laughs> that that was uh, was
0: hilarious why are you making so many you know homophobic oh it's because I'm gay <laughs> and I, lo- yeah. I'm, I love how everybody in the studio is just kind of like wait
3: what <laughs> as soon as that <laughs> happened I knew that the movie was going to be something different than I was expecting
0: oh yeah so, uh, this has been described as the first U.S. film made dealing with an assassination attempt against a real-world life, real-life world leader, not real-world life leader, <laughs> um, who was in power when the movie was made. It is not. In 1941, Fritz Lang, uh, incredible director, who had fled the Nazis when they took power in Germany, made a movie called Manhunt in 1941 about a British hunter. Attempts to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Uh when that film was made, the US was still not at war with Hitler's Germany. So that's really cool. And if you don't know who Fritz Lang is, you gotta get out.
1: Yeah.
4: Uh
0: personally I'm a huge fan of M, the the one with um oh the guy with the with the bug eyes. Peter Lorre. Peter lorre yeah, playing the child killer. Uh also in this movie, uh during the eat the steak scene. Skylark is intentionally dressed like the Joker from Batman with the purple jacket in everything. Yep. So
2: I wonder what the intent was there.
0: Probably just to make him look like the Joker.
4: <laughs> I'm just I mean <laughs> All right, then. I mean I, I
0: think you're looking for a little bit more depth than when he's actually here right now, because I don't recall <laughs> any steak eating scenes from Batman, you know, that oh, like they're they're completely, you know, they completely mimicked, you know, episode, you know, issue number thirty eight of the uh, first run of Batman Supreme.
1: Yeah, Skylark had some uh, fashion choices that were kind of out there, and I'm just guessing they decided that uh, an exact replica of a Joker costume would fit with his sense of style. Yep.
2: Yeah, maybe. I guess so.
0: In uh, late 2014, Sony Pictures was a victim of a major hack of their computer systems in which confidential corporate information and several unreleased complete movies were posted for public consumption among reams of other information the budget for this movie was released revealing among other things the film's total cost, $44 million the salaries of its stars including $8.4 million for co-writer, co-director and co-star Seth Rogen and $6.5 million for co-star James Franco and 5000 for Kevin Federline who made a cameo
1: appearance <laughs> K-Fed I
0: didn't
1: were, even
2: realize he was in this what did he do?
1: I don't know. Of course, I don't <laughs> think I could pick Kevin Federline
3: out of a crowd. Yeah. Joel, do you he'd know? Be the,
2: he'd be the douchebag that's dancing.
3: Uh, um, nothing, Joel? I'm looking, because I'm trying to remember. Was he
1: the guy from 60 Minutes at the beginning? Hmm. I wouldn't
3: think so.
0: I'm looking at Kevin Federline right now on my computer screen, and I still have no damn idea who
3: he is. I don't know. There's a picture of him with Seth Rogen, and he's losing all his hair. Not Seth Rogen, Kevin Federline. But,
0: well, anyway, huh. there were uh, also line items in the budget for $74,000 for two tigers and their handlers, and a special tiger accommodations, as well as $250 for a table of weed, coke, pills, and panties, although only $241 of that was spent. Good, <laughs> good budgeting, guys.
2: Yeah, that's not a whole lot of weed and coke and pills.
3: Where'd the other nine bucks go? tip your dealer
0: (laughs) so uh the FBI Ah. ah, excuse me the FBI announced that it had credible evidence the hack was orchestrated by the North Korea uh in retaliation for the film's storyline which involves a plot to kill the real North Korean later a claim that was quickly denied by the North Korean government oh shit they noticed deny everything it's uh, on December 19th, 2014, the FBI officially named the North Korean government as being responsible for the Sony hack uh, a, few, a few weeks earlier. So, but, um, yeah, that was a huge thing of this. When the North Korean government found out about this and they started threatening, you know, making their threats. and
1: Yeah, they threatened to bomb theaters. They, all sorts of crazy stuff. And a bunch of theaters were like, uh, we don't want to deal with this. And they were going to pull the film. Mm. Lots of Let's theaters see. did. It did not, this movie,
0: if I remember correctly, did not release on um, any theaters.
1: Oh, no. It was uh, several theater chains backpedaled when there was a big uh, backlash.
0: Because I remember seeing this shortly after it came out in the theaters on Netflix.
1: Oh, yeah. It uh, came out uh, on Netflix and streaming the same day as it was in theaters, but it was only in a few theaters. Okay. Yeah,
3: I was going to say it was one of the first times I think that they did uh, a simultaneous release, it seemed like. Yeah. On VOD and, and, and streaming sites and stuff.
0: Yeah. So, um, this actually, this movie, if you own it, if you have this movie in your possession in North Korea, you will be killed.
3: I'm not surprised. Yeah.
0: So, uh, actually, there is a black market of getting this movie to people in North Korea also. So, it says there are some people that actually have DVD players or ways to play it digitally. Um, yeah, like,
1: USB sticks and laptops. Yeah, that sort of thing.
3: So That's where the other nine bucks went. They bought a copy on DVD and sent it to Kim Jong-un.
1: <laughs> as well as, like, 2,000 USB sticks. <laughs> right.
0: So, um... Who is in this? James Franco as Dave Skylark um, hamming it up in every scene.
3: That's James Franco, though. he's As good as he is as a serious actor, the man has no qualms about completely not taking himself seriously. Alright,
0: let's let, well, let's keep going before we get totally into this, but yes. Seth Rogen as Aaron Report as, like, the, the sidekick. Yeah, he's like the everyman. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan as Agent Lacey in her glasses. The honeypot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Randall Park put on 15 pounds to play uh, President Kim Jong-un.
2: Can't believe it was only 15. It wasn't... No, because I've seen Randall Park in other things. Yeah. He looked like he gained a lot more than 15 for this.
0: Maybe he lost a lot more afterwards. You don't know, don't know where he was at the beginning. Yeah,
1: or 15 pounds in unflattering mm-hmm.
0: clothing. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and hair. Uh, yeah. Diana Bang is Sook.
3: <laughs> she banged, she bang
0: <laughs> Jesus
4: <laughs>
0: Timothy Simmons as Malcolm Reese Alexander as Agent Botwin And James Yi as Officer Ko, Uh Who was the poor guy who chewed the gum <laughs> Yes <laughs> Alright, so oh, <laughs> a rundown on this <clears throat> So they get chosen to, in, be, to interview Kim Jong-un
1: Right. He's a super fan and Seth Rogen's character is feeling like he's not doing enough with his career. He's a serious journalist and they're doing like uh TMZ-style shitty yellow celebrity pseudo journalism. It's super popular, but it's not serious and he does he feels like they can do more. Right.
0: And he, you know, he wants to try and step into actually doing real news and he find they find out that President Kim Jong-un is actually a fan and they contact him. He kind he kind of sends out a Hey, you're fans, let's talk type of thing through uh the, um, the Olympic yeah, committee, th- th- wasn't the it? The Olympic committee, yeah. And they contact him back, tell him <laughs> to meet him at this these coordinates, which <laughs> It's, Seth Rogen, I think, is...
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm not up on my laddies and <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know When, he, uh, when the, the helicopter is flying away, please, throw me some water. I pack so poorly for this. <laughs> he, he, he plays the put-upon guy really well. Um, so that's where he meets Sook, uh, who is Diana Bang, as the, um, the general leader. Uh, for President Kim Jong Un, she's he she got chosen to lead his troops straight out of uh, what's like eighth grade or something like that. Yeah, well, she's school.
1: not a military leader; she's a chief propaganda minister.
0: Okay, so uh, she sets up that this this will be this will happen. You come to North Korea; they will give you the questions you're supposed to ask. You will ask them. We will run the cameras. We will run everything. Now, Seth uh, Aaron Rapport is now in this cross crux, crux because he's Wants to become a serious journalist, but at the same time, he's going to become a mouthpiece for President Kim
1: Jong-un if he does this.
3: Which is right. going to make him unpopular.
1: Right. It's a whole farce, but uh, Dave Skylark is like, this is the biggest interview. No one ever gets to talk to this guy. If we eat our vegetables here, it'll give us the cred to <laughs> do more serious stuff. <laughs> because eat the steak. They hate us because they
0: ain't us. <laughs> Nobody's. Does what does it
2: an anus have to do with anything?
0: Yeah, nobody says that. That's not. That's not a thing people say. <laughs> <laughs> and again, um, to draw, to throw a drawback uh, back to spies like us, James Franco and Seth Rogen can bounce the lines back and forth wonderfully in this movie. Well, well
2: they're actual friends off screen.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
3: I, th- I I think it goes to their long term friendship, and I mean they've done several movies together where they're doing this exact same shtick, you know? Yeah. Pretty boy and not-so-pretty boy, both being funny and, and...
0: The clueless and the one with half a clue. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, so... um, They finally go over to North Korea. Well, before they go to North Korea, Lizzie Kaplan, um, honeypots them because <laughs> where did her glasses go? Uh, she shows up as Agent Lacey. I got
3: LASIK. I got LASIK. <laughs> and, <laughs> He's like, in 24 hours, you got LASIK surgery? or Something like that.
0: <laughs> Honestly, one of the funniest scenes is when uh, Aaron answers the door and the agents are there, and the whole time Dave Schuyler is in the back, and he's like, my dick smells so bad. It's like guacamole, man.
3: <laughs> he's got stick dick. So,
0: um, but yeah, they, they get them to agree to assassinate Kim Jong-un by putting this... Uh, Little band aid of what was the poison? Ricin. Ricin on his hand. Um, some practice of that (laughs) where Jane Franco sneezes and winds up getting it stuck to his forehead. Uh, that was, I mean, again, some a lot of nice, great physical comedy in this, but especially with Seth Rogen. Um, so they get sent over to North Korea, they get met by Suk, and the farce starts. They initially, um, uh, Dave Scarlock decides that the bag that the government is going to give him to hide the uh, the drugs they're bringing in, the ki- the killer Band-Aid, isn't cool enough. So he uses one of his own and packs the poison uh, uh, adhesive into a pack of gum, which is then chewed by Officer Ko as they
1: come into Kim Jong-un's residence. That
2: gum tastes like shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, and ricin, a death from ricin is really bad. As your body tries to avoid itself by making you shit yourself, uh, bleed it, and vomit out of every orifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and actually that was kind of a funny running
0: gag from the entire. Are you okay? You all, you you gotta go, you gotta lay down or something. But um, no, that was I like that part. But so uh, they wind up over there and discover well two different things. James Franco starts to bond with Kim Jong-un over Katy Perry and Margaritas. <laughs> uh, Kim Jong-un shows up and is, plays a super fan to uh, Dave Skylark and decides to show him around the uh, his house. And they wind up driving a tank around, playing basketball, uh, snorting coke off of hooker's backs, um, all sorts of stuff. In the meantime, Seth Rogen, Aaron Report, discovers that Dave is being suckered into this. He's being Honey dicked He's being Honey Dicked. In the meantime, Suk comes on to uh, Aaron Rapport (laughs) as one of the best things. You're so hairy. (laughs) Suk comes on to uh, Aaron Rapport and discovers that she actually wants to get
1: Kim Jong Un out of uh, out of control.
3: I think we're missing a
0: part. What am I? What did I miss?
1: You're missing uh, after they screw up the initial dose oh. They get the other one where the payload has to go up Seth Rogen's See, butt. See, I think I, I kind of wrote that out of my head. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought it was going to be like thumb-sized.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. The whole scene where uh, so Aaron, they screw up the initial one after uh, Officer Co. chews the poison band-aid, and they have to call in to Agent A. C. to get a new one. They send it by drone, but Aaron has to go out to get it. So he has to leave room, which he gets dropped out of a, dropped out the window and is crawling across the ground to get to the, the drop zone. And then comes across a tiger, which when Dave Scarlet's like, you have to fight that tiger.
3: <laughs> and
0: she's Again. like, don't fight the
2: tiger. Please tell-, fight the tiger? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Please tell me, you know, that's a stupid idea. You will die. <laughs> then he's like When he tells him to cunt punch the tiger
3: <laughs> See you next Tuesday
0: So yeah he um. So he finally they, the drone comes in He almost gets caught But not before he hides the package
3: In his anus
0: Which is a, roughly the size of the microphone That I'm using right now Which I would not want to do More than once Well
2: if the alternative is yeah. death
0: Yeah that's true Use that tiger blood
3: <laughs> Which is a terrible lubricant, by the way.
0: <laughs> oh, you know this? Yeah, i was saying you said that really confidently, dude. That's kind of sick. Winning. <laughs> 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 so uh, they drop him in the drop. They give him two new killer band aids because they figure they're going to screw it up again. But Aaron keeps one, gives one to Dave, and holds on to one and is, will attempt to try to kill President Kim in the meantime. But Suk shows up, and this is where I, this is where I kicked in, uh, who then re- reveals her attraction for him. And the, actually, it was pretty cool, because the whole time, he's got this killer band-aid stuck to his hand, and he's trying not to touch her with it, and discovers that she wants to get Kim Jong-un out of, uh, out of power also.
1: Yeah, and he can't even close his hand, because if he touches his own skin with it, he dies. Yeah. So, in the meantime, Dave Skylark is
0: convinced that Kim Jong-un is just misrepresented by everybody in the world and thinks that they're totally cool. They're cool buddies. Until the Band-Aid kicks out on officer Ko, who dies and takes another officer with him, <laughs> shoots him in the head, uh, when the uh, ricin all kicks in at the same time and he drops dead. This is a, one of the officers that has known Kim Jong-un since he was a kid. So, Kim Jong-un freaks out And is now talking about nuking the world, launching his nukes, just to show that he actually does have control over things. Um, Dave Skylark has issue with this, wanders out of the party and discovers that the grocery store that was shown to be full of food and the fat little kids standing out front are actually... well, not the fat kid, the fat kid was real. Um, But all the food in the grocery store is actually fake plaster food. And he becomes, starts to realize that Kim Jong-un is actually lying to him and honeydicking him. Now they come across the idea that the best way to take him down is to show on the screen to the world that Kim Jong-un is not the amazing god that they think he is. So they decide that they're going to ask their own questions in the interview, to which Eren uh, and Suk decide to go armor up and have a tryst in the armory in the meantime. Uh, while Dave Skylark is getting ready to interview President Kim, Aaron and Sook take over the control room while Dave Skylark starts to ask uh, Kim Jong-un questions like, why are you spending money on missiles and not feeding your people? And then digs down deeper into the, your father never approved of you.
1: Yeah, because they realize if they just kill him, someone's going to take his place. But if they make him break down like a baby on TV and show that he's not a god, it'll destroy him. His image with his country. Mm-hmm. And
2: it was actually filmed really well because, I mean, there was a moment of doubt there because uh, right before the interview, Kim gives him a dog that looks just like his puppy from childhood and it looks like he's going to give up on the plan and not really go through with it. And then suddenly <laughs> when he breaks through and he's like, you know, you know, you've got nine million people. He's like, oh, yes. He's like, then why don't you feed them? It was, a pretty, it was well done.
0: You know, for as goofy as the, as the movie is, that was a really great scene. Mm-hmm. You know, because then, then Kim Jong-un is like, why don't you ask me about karaoke? You know, he, he, why don't you ask me? <laughs> why don't we
2: me? return to a civil discussion?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, why are you, basically, why are you not asking me the questions we told you to ask me? Um, to the point where he gets Kim Jong-un to cry, break down in tears on TV, effectively destroying any confidence poop, in him. Poop his,
2: himself, proving yeah, that he does pee and, and
0: poop. And shart himself, yes. Did you just shart? um and uh then kind of hits the fan because while the whole the whole time this is going on uh Suk and Aaron are trying to h- keep control of the control room Aaron loses two fingers that get bit off by that poor control guy who took the control stick in the keister. that was <laughs>
2: that whole fight scene was <laughs> insane. a little bit over the top <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> insane well, that's where they that, started
2: biting each other's fingers off, I was like, Whoa, what are they doing? <laughs>
3: that was
0: that was when that table of uh table of weed showed up. Wouldn't it be cool? <laughs> if then I bit his finger off. Oh yeah, yeah, write that down. So, um
2: when he finally gets shot in the head. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in the meantime, one of the officers is coming around with all the uh the loyalist uh soldiers. They're going to try and bust into the room, but Diana Bang pulls this I don't even know what gun how it sir he pull out this gun and just start gunning him down through the door which was a Very great sexy scene.
3: yeah well women with women with guns are sexy yes
0: oh yeah is that is that a is that every thumbs up on that women with guns yes yeah yeah sure <laughs> and, and Pat's <laughs> from Texas so I uh, hesitate yeah. yeah sure yeah, yeah okay we'll run with that um they make their escape. They're trying to get out of the uh, now increasingly fortified building, and they discover that the best way out is Dave's idea to steal the tank that they were driving earlier. In the meantime, President Kim has deci- decided to launch all his nukes. Those are slowly coming out of the ground as he shows up in his uh, the, the helicopter gunning down with this ridiculous... Mo- it seems like when they go over the top with the action... They they just go completely over the top with a battle between the tank and a gunship helicopter.
1: Yeah, so yeah, with like, nuclear missiles uh, getting ready to launch all around them, right? And uh,
0: it looks like something
2: straight out of a video game.
0: It really does. It is like it was like that over the top video game type action going on. In the meantime, Dave Scarlett just realizes that he's in a tank. Why don't they shoot back and launches a shell at his helicopter, blowing it up? And, and a
2: really well done slow motion special effect too.
0: Yeah, to an acoustic version of um, fire uh, of uh fire, what's the name of that song? Firework. Firework. Yeah, I almost said. Oh
2: song. yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. So, wind up and winds up killing Kim Jong Un, allowing it, them to escape.
3: A very slow motion graphic. We're gonna give you the giant middle finger. Yeah. Type scenario.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like they. I can't see why North Korea had an issue with that. Right. <laughs> so, they wind up escaping, get picked up by SEAL Team 6 on the other side of a tunnel, leaving Suk behind to help bring control to the country that she has just released uh, rebellion on. And they, then he goes back to write his uh, tell-all book. Yeah, leaving the CIA conveniently out of it. Yep. And, uh... Happy ending for everybody as there's democratic elections in North Korea through being uh, presented by Suk on TV, who then, and then the, the uh, Skype conversation when they realized, they told him that they named the dog Kim Jong-un. <laughs> so, and oh, happy. That's, that's fucked up. <laughs> happy, happy endings to everybody. Um, I wasn't sure initially what to think about this the first time I heard about it. I mean, because I had seen Superbad, I had seen Pineapple Express, I had seen all these other ones, but I wasn't really sure where where to go on this.
1: I really like
0: this movie. I thought it was damn funny.
1: It's interesting. I think that uh, Seth Rogen, and especially James Franco, there's a core of people that like hate them, and uh, they don't necessarily have a reason to uh, hate them. It's just like... The, the whole Nickelback thing. It's like, I, I try not to hate somebody just because the internet tells you you're supposed to. I'll evaluate anybody on an individual performance. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you go to the music show. I ended up really liking some Justin Bieber songs. It's like, if that's not the test of that concept, I don't know what is. Hey. Um, so I went into this with really open mind. But unfortunately, like it sounds like most of the rest of you guys liked it, and I just didn 't laugh like i, I don 't know i got to, i I was kind of bored until king kim jong un showed up he he brought some energy in, I at least smiled a few times uh, when that performance started but uh well, the m
2: M&M m scene was funny
1: the m M&M m scene made me grin i i didn 't think it was stupid or badly written, but like most of the stuff was just like I've kind of seen this before. The vaguely homoerotic buddy stuff. Like I'm not seeing anything new that's cracking me up here. The whole hide it in your butt thing. It's like, okay. That I don't know that was worth twelve minutes. <laughs> Pat but, so. Yeah, I don't know. I just no, I agree with him actually. I, I actually like I wanted to like this movie more than I did. And there, it had its moments, but overall, I just, I wasn't laughing.
2: It's just, uh, okay, I, I'm going to speak as a fan of both Seth Rogen and James Franco. I do like both of them. I like them separately. I like them together. Um, I like most of the stuff that they've done together. And like most of their comedy that they've done together, you know, the the Pineapple Express, you know, this is the end and all that kind of stuff, I really enjoy. And I would say that this is probably my least favorite out of all of their movies that they've done together. It's definitely the least comedically strong. It it I enjoyed it, but it was definitely not my favorite out of theirs. And it's just really interesting that probably the most mature subject matter that they've taken on as a comedy duo is strangely enough probably their most immature movie because there was just a lot of really uh, I mean uh, there was just a lot of pee and potty and and, and dick humor in this movie. And I'm not one that normally has a problem with that, but it just seemed like it was a little too forced in some scenes. And it's like James Franco was just a little too anxious to get the whole homoerotic humor out there in this movie. I mean, he just, he he's funny enough that he doesn't have to try to be juvenile like he seemed like he was in this movie.
1: And like normally stuff like the Lord of the Rings references, that stuff should have killed with me. Right. But like I don't know. It, just like the jokes didn't land. Just for me, and I, I found myself I watched the whole thing, but I'll never see it again.
2: I'm not gonna buy this movie, I know that.
3: Joel? Uh you know, me and James Franco have a have a weird relationship. Like Do tell. I <laughs> does he not <laughs> I, return uh, your calls, Joel? He doesn't, the bastard. <laughs> no, I, I was never really a fan of his until I saw the the Planet of the Apes, the original remake. And I, I kind of turned my thoughts to a more positive side with him, and so since then I've, I've enjoyed watching what he does.
2: I've liked him since Freaks and Geeks.
3: See, and I, yeah, I never watched that with him and and Seth Rogen, but, um, I, I had seen so much about this that I intentionally was avoiding it as long as possible because it had there was so much press around it, positive and negative, that I didn't want to be tainted by the media's. Uh, kind of oversaturation of it. So I'd been waiting until the right time and this seemed like a good time to watch it. And I and mm-hmm. actually saw it a, a couple weeks prior to us deciding to do the show. And um, I went into it with really no preconceived notions. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm kind of in the middle of everybody, whereas I don't know that I need to see it again. But I thought it was very well done. I found myself uh, laughing at certain points and uh, everybody in it was likable. I think my favorite parts of the film were the, uh, the, the little various montages from his show like Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the the, the cage with all the puppies.
4: Oh or, yeah. <laughs>
3: the M&M sequence, all the little things they did where they got their celebrity friends to kind of play against part. The whole thing with um, uh, Rob Lowe and, and the, you the, know, the wig. Oh, the wig. <laughs> exactly. I thought all that stuff was was, that's the kind of stuff that made me laugh the most Um, but yeah Randall Park kind of stole the movie I think from everybody Uh, because his portrayal was you know we don't know what Kim Jong-un necessarily is really like but I think that's kind of what we all want to believe and 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 at times it got a little too over the top but I think that was kind of what they were going for they were dealing with kind of a a touchy subject matter that they figured you know we're just going to go all in and just let the chips fall where they may and i enjoyed it i mean i thought it was a two hour long just kind of uh fun little getaway kind of movie like a good saturday afternoon time waster
2: yeah overall i would give it a thumbs up but i'm probably like i said never gonna buy the dvd or anything like that it's and it's my least favorite of their uh collaborations so far
1: I think it's cool that you guys both singled out Randall Park because I, I give this movie a, a pretty enthusiastic thumbs down, but I was still like, he was the reason why this wasn't a total waste of time for me. Like I thought his Kim Jong Un was uh, like he brought an energy and a charisma to that kind of role that uh, he could have
2: easily played it just too over the top or too two dimensional. Yep, there was, a, there was a lot of lot of. Pratt Falls he could have fallen into, and he didn't he didn't really take any of them no, they t-
3: nailed it. there were times during his portrayal that you're like is does he really feel that way, or is that just him honey dicking him um and and sometimes I'm not totally sure that I ever was hundred percent one way or the other with some of his actions, but um you know for me, this is the end is probably my favorite collaboration that they've done um I didn't really care for Pineapple Express when I saw it, and um, I haven't seen everything they've done together, but I enjoyed it. This I mean, is the
2: end. Might actually be my favorite.
3: It, it was a good time. Yeah, I mean that one because they're playing themselves. Right, made it that much funnier to me.
2: And just all the all the great cameos were so so good in that
0: movie.
3: Yeah, I I really enjoyed that one quite a bit comparatively. So I, I would give it a thumbs up.
4: Hmm.
0: I refuse to feel bad for liking this movie.
1: Oh, I, I'm. I I am in the minority on this again, and with comedies, I think we've seen that in previous shows, and we'll probably see it again, where I'm the one that uh, feels strong, most strongly negative about a, a comedy if the jokes don't land.
0: I will I will give you that. You are, I think, out of the four of us, the one who is, you take your comedy very seriously.
1: Yes, I am the most picky uh, of us about comedies, and probably the most forgiving about superhero stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked it. it. For some reason, this just hit all the right keys for me. And it may just be that I was in the mood to watch a really stupid movie. Um, and, you know, uh, for I don't know why I was laughing so so much at the they hate us because they ain't us uh, thing. I personally think Seth, I like Seth Rogen's his reaction comedy, his reaction uh, to things, I think is one of my favorite things about him. Is the like when uh, uh, have you when, seen
2: Neighbors yet?
0: No, no, I have not seen Neighbors yet. I heard oh, that pretty I heard funny. It, heard it's pretty damn good. But his reactions when Dave Skylark starts saying really stupid stuff—I mean, his his
3: counter to him—I just found that hilarious. See, like, and for me, <clears throat> my favorite type of comedians or comedians is is the ones that are pretty that don't take themselves seriously and are willing to do the the muggy faces or the the physical humor like the Sarah Silverman's or you know the ones that are very attractive but don't have any problem just being completely stupid and James Franco has proven to me on several occasions that you know even though he's a good-looking guy and all the ladies love him he has no problems doing just insane stupid stuff because it's just who he is I think
0: see I find it interesting you said Sarah Silverman because I really hate Sarah Silverman (laughs) <laughs> that's fine. I mean, that's. I mean, that's just. I mean, just drawing those lines on where we where we stand on things. I mean, it's uh, this just hit the right note for me. You yeah. know, was a stupid movie for what I needed, and it's it's for me it was just fun to watch. I know it's a you know it's that uh, not lighthearted take, but um, farcical take on a uh, really serious idea, and I. It, think it leaned a little bit more into the slapstick for me
3: well and it was a nice modern counterpoint to what we watched because whereas that one was a bit more i don't know if satire is right the right word but it was a bit more toned down in terms of the gross out humor and whatnot it was still a very similar story and had Mm -hmm. kind of a a heavy overtones because i mean at that point in time i mean there was that concern that (laughs) we were going to get nuked so oh yeah yeah, I, th- I think it was a. This was a good modern analog to tie together with that.
4: Cool.
1: So, we got anything you want to more want to say more about this?
3: No, really. I mean,
1: I didn't like it, but I, I didn't hate it enough to like throw a final it sucked at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like, I, I guess it was just like the interview. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like my high school principal.
3: <laughs> well, and just judging by IMDb, I mean, it's 6.6 out of 10 stars. So people are kind of, I think, along the same lines as as what Josh is saying. You know, it's something that maybe they didn't hate, but there's some people that absolutely loved it and some that absolutely hated it. And so it kind of comes somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So,
3: Joel, what's happening next week? Oh, oh. man. I've been waiting for a show like this for a while, but... Kids, it's happening! Voltron, Defender of the Universe.
1: Yeah, we're going to be looking at the original, at least the American release. We'll probably talk a little bit about the Japanese release of uh, Voltron on TV. And yeah, we've got the new Voltron coming Vol- to Netflix. Yeah,
0: Voltron: Legendary Defender uh, is just popped up on Netflix. Um,
3: the tenth Friday. Yeah. Well, by the time you hear this show, it'll already have happened. But
0: yeah, this will. This goes back all the way to 1984. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Tigers and a little bit of a drift into the... Um, the the car- cars. Yeah, the cars and the uh, Gladiator Voltron. This that's is a- another
2: one of those things that I've never seen.
0: Yeah. So
3: yeah. we'll get a fresh take on it.
0: Yeah. That's, and I, I did a little research, though. I found discovered that that actually is the, the name. Because remember I was talking about the Voltron that was three robots that stacked on top of each other? That's, yeah. That's gladiator voltron voltron of the middle universe apparently uh-huh. yeah because apparently they are lion force is voltron of the far universe vehicle force is voltron of the near universe and gladiator voltron is voltron of the middle universe
3: and see with all of us growing up with it and pat never seeing it before it's going to be an interesting interesting yeah. thing to watch
0: definitely yeah. should be pretty interesting i want to hear i should actually delete some stuff to make more room for pat's rant <laughs> So, but yeah, and uh, this next week's Voltron. A uh, week after, we realize we haven't done a person show in a while. So the week after, to, after next, we are doing. Well, we indeed. are talking indeed.
1: about Cameron. Yes,
3: <laughs> indeed. Yes, I don't think that was a poor choice of words.
1: Mm, I wouldn't mind it. So, if you have any suggestions, I, I've already got uh, something for next week about Voltron in the can that uh, was sent to us by a uh, listener, Joe Dane. Uh, but if you want to send us a voicemail or anything over Facebook, you can reach us on our Facebook page by searching for 40 going on 14 and you can give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. Uh, again, that number is seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven.
0: Right. And if you want to chat with us during the week also, we're on Twitter at 40Go14. And if you want to uh, check out some of our older shows, we're also uh, on our home on the web at 40Go14.com. All right. Yeah, cool. I'm going to go fight a tiger. (laughs) Do not fight the tiger.
2: And I'm going to go shove something up my ass.
0: (laughs) So it's another Thursday night.
2: So I'm at this really bad, I mean, because there's just, there's more, it's more than just this. This is just kind of the, the, uh, shit cherry, you know, but, um.
1: is that a, <laughs> yeah. is that a thing? I don't want that to be a thing.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say, well, you know, it's the old shit cherry. That doesn't seem like something that somebody would say.